Elephant in the Room is an anarchist radio show from Dresden, Europe, where we talk with activists from all around the world about politics, life and universe. Airing every second and fourth Monday of the month on Color Radio. You can find the podcast version of the show on the Channel Zero Network or on your favorite podcast platform. From activists for activists. Hello, here's Nina. Welcome to our show, Elephant in the Room. There is a fundraising campaign going on for ABC Belarus at the Firefront platform. We haven't actually heard from activists from Belarus for quite some time and we want to change that today. You might remember almost two years ago at the 9th of August elections took place in Belarus The mood for a change in the society was already in the air all those months of the election campaign. People got prepared to react to whatever result would appear at this 9th of August. People gathered at the election offices at the day of the election and were waiting for the results. And for the first time, actually, since Lukashenko is in power, which is already really long, Some of the election offices published real results, and they clearly showed that Lukashenko didn't win, rather than Tikhanovskaya. People went to the streets all around the country, and intense clashes with the police happened the following days. The police arrested several thousand people during these days, used massive violence at the streets, and killed during the next week at least eight people. Inside the prisons, people were beaten, tortured, and raped. The protests continued with a general strike all around the country. Nevertheless, managed the Lukashenko regime to suppress the protest movement with more and more repressions. Till November, the protests went down to small decentralized actions and slowly faded out. There are still a lot of people in prison till today, and repression continues with growing number of people in prison. We invited Boris, a friend from ABC Belarus, to talk with us about the recent situation and why ABC Belarus actually really urgently need your support and a lot of money. Hey, Boris. Hey. So I would like to start with a kind of an overview about the recent situation in Belarus. How can we imagine the society today after this intense protest that unfortunately didn't manage to overthrow the dictator once again? Well, I think it's a, it's a huge question. How can you imagine Belarusian society? Still eating potatoes, still drinking a lot of alcohol, still not getting involved or not allowed to get involved in politics. I think what is really important here to point is that since the beginning of repressions in 2020, um, Lukashenko's regime slowly, step by step, cleared the political field in the country just for himself. So not only he removed like rebellious parts of uh, society, the people who were ready to clash with the police and maybe some oppositional parties, but he is trying to remove anybody who is somewhere on the edges of this political movement, somewhere on the edges of thinking, okay, maybe I should do something, maybe I should protest. And right now, this is Belarus. It is a very sterile country where Lukashenko is ruling pretty much with fear in contrast to um, many years ago where he was trying to be like this populist leader. Right now, it is just repressions, just violence, just basically like, you know, smashing the, the society and doing as much damage as possible just to prevent anything from happening. 
And we've seen that happening um, at the time when the war in Ukraine started, though a lot of people were expecting that that would be like an explosion inside of the Belarusian society. People would go again to the streets. People would start resisting what is happening as the country was involved in the war, though officially it is not. And officially, like for the Russian state, there is no war. Uh, Belarus became a very important strategic part of the of the Eastern Europe for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And there were pretty small protests, like in comparison to what was happening in 2020. And one of the reasons of this kind of a small um, organizing and small outcry was because the repressions destroyed pretty much everything that was, you know, capable of organizing something bigger. Even though, even though um, at the days of uh, the protests, uh, I think there were around 800 people arrested out of several thousand who were participating in protests. So the repressions were also massive and they were basically detaining not only protesters, but they would detain people randomly on the streets who they thought were participating in the protests or on were on the way to the protests. And those people who were arrested were sentenced later on to like 10, 15 days in prison. This was the beginning of the war um, period. And... Um, that was it. Like since then, Belarusian society as a society is pretty calm. Lukashenko does enjoy a certain part of support within the society, so-called uh, Yabatki. They are still there, but the difference between Lukashenko's supporting, let's say, supporting groups and those who are opposing him, um, Lukashenko supporters like non-involved in the political or in the police forces are normally quite harmless. So they cannot do any damage, nor they can organize any demonstrations. They are very passive, as the dictatorship requires. So you need your supporters not politically engaged in, in social issues. Rather, you need them to be as passive as, uh, as possible. And in Belarus, you see that very well that Lukashenko doesn't want anybody, even his supporters, to be um, doing anything politically. Though there are some forces uh, that you would say like pro-Putin, pro-Russian within the country that are trying to steer the water and say, um, oh yeah, we are the great supporters of the Soviet empire or whatever Russian empire, Russian world and all this bullshit. They're doing some smaller actions in the country that are allowed. So you would have, um, I don't know, 50 hundred people who would gather through social networks and would march through Minsk with the Soviet flags and with the Belarusian flags and maybe with the Russian imperial flag and the Russian federation flag. So it's kind of like a fucking not case where everybody's just showing the flags that they had in their in their flat and maybe with the portrait of Stalin and, and shit like that. So to sum it up, Belarusian society is in crisis and it is in crisis because the government is not stopping this constant pressure on the society and it is trying to constantly destroy the, the society. And here it is also important to mention that this is possible because the Russian state is supporting Lukashenko. With his pressure on, on a lot of different, not only social but economical groups, Lukashenko is destroying what he was building up economically or what Belarusian state was building up economically in the last decade or so. Uh, for example, the IT um, industry, a lot of big IT companies are withdrawing from the country and that means a huge um, tax, taxes gone, huge income for, for the economy is gone. And this is, um, well, it's going to play in the longer uh, run in a very negative direction.
So you already mentioned Putin's influence and you also mentioned the war and uh, you said that Belarus is an active part of the war. From Belarus, actually, rockets were launched right from the territory of Belarus. Right. Also, um, equipment was brought through Belarus to Ukraine. And eventually, people are actually fighting on both sides. Yeah, I think it's important here to point that it's not like, you know, Russians brought their own roads and brought their own trains and brought everything their own, the whole infrastructure, and it was just passing. Belarusian state provided uh, Russian state with the whole infrastructure for invasion. So moving on the railroads, the trains to move the military, to move the tanks, to move all the shit that was moving around. So all of that was made available to the Russian state. And it was not like, oh, they're just passing by and we don't look at it. Rather, we are actively supporting this uh, military efforts. At the end of the day, Belarusian state was the platform for the Russian military um, in, in terms of, as you were saying, rockets, but also um, airborne units and also aircrafts. So the planes that were, for example, bombing Kiev were coming from the Belarusian airports, air, like military airports, and they were actually um, serviced there. So they would fly to Kiev, get some damage, come back to Belarus, and there they would get um, repaired by sometimes Belarusian technicians, sometimes Russian um, technicians. Also, Russian soldiers who were injured in the, in the fight On the, on the Ukrainian territory, were brought to the border territories into Belarusian hospitals. And um, there were also, um, certain, in certain places, like the doctors and the medical staff was mobilized specifically for that goal to serve injured Russian soldiers instead of um, anything else, starting from some cancer treatment and ending up with the coronavirus, which became really obsolete in Belarus at that point, though it was never like an issue um, for the state. Yeah, so Belarus became an active, active participant of the war. The reason why, for example, Ukraine is not pointing that anymore, like Ukrainian government is not pointing out um, that anymore, is the hope that Lukashenko will um, try to navigate from that uh, through that conflict into some kind of a deal where he's not going to support Putin. So Putin is going to drown, and Zelensky, for example, who was trying to, um, you know, kind of play between Putin and Lukashenko is for sure trying to use it to kind of destabilize this um, friendship between Putin and Lukashenko that doesn't exist and more like political dependence of Lukashenko from Moscow. And there were also gossips, rumors that there is a lot of negotiation happening between the West and Belarus, where this kind of promises of economical support and all the shit is also put on the table in exchange for not supporting um, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And um, it is unclear how much of that is actually working and how much of that is actually influencing Lukashenko's politics. But right now, there are no Belarusian army on the Ukrainian territory as we are speaking. And this is like a six, seventh of uh, June. It might change within a couple of days. You, you never know. But currently, it's like it is like that. There are... Um, For example, Belarusian volunteers or volunteers, Belarusian uh, mercenaries that are participating in the war. For example, the case of two Belarusian citizens, like Belarusian yeah, passport holders, who were fighting in Wagner um, group and who were also connected with, who were connected later on through an investigation to 
certain violations of human rights, certain, like, I don't know, uh, torture and so on, on the Ukrainian territory. So they were participating in the military conflict uh, in the war, and they were, uh, well, participating in torturing people and so on. And they were also the people, the Belarusian citizens, right? They were also the people who were doing the same shit in Syria. And before that, before the full-scale war, they were also doing the like extra-jurisdictional murder of people in Donbass and so on. So this kind of things are happening on the side of uh, pro-Russian forces, and there are certain people who would love to, you know, take a gun and try to liberate um, Ukraine from Nazis and all this bullshit narrative. Um, this bullshit narrative is kind of very deep in Belarusian society right now, and the propaganda machine is working not only to convince or to propaganda is not convincing but rather like get the votes of the people not only in Russia but also in Belarus and like my family for example is split into like half of it believes all the bullshit that uh, Moscow is talking about Ukraine the other doesn't believe any shit because they tend to have a little bit more connections and they tend to be a little bit more interested in what is happening in the world and of course this is also like in Minsk people are way more informed and way and have better access the capital, right? They have better access to the information than in the smaller towns where everything is still quite often spread through rumors, through the TV, and through all this bullshit media sources that are controlled by the state. I would like to switch a bit to the question of the imprisoned people we mentioned at the beginning. So there were really a lot, thousands of people who are imprisoned actually right now. Can you give us some numbers? Who is inside and under which condition we can imagine this kind of repression? Well, the conservative numbers are around like 2,000 people. I think the human rights defenders are pointing around 1,300, 400 people they consider political prisoners. There is, a, as you can see, between 2,000 and 1,300 is 700 people missing. Those people are the ones who admitted their guilt in violent actions and not considered by human rights defenders political prisoners. This is very conservative, and the reason for that is that many families were threatened by the police, were threatened by the KGB, that if they go public, the sentencing of, those, uh, of their relatives, of their closed ones, will be even harsher. So a lot of people do not come in any way to human rights defenders. They do not come to any political organizations that are supporting prisoners. Rather, they stay silent and try to keep um, everything under the rug, hoping that the sentencing will be less, which is not the case in most of the situations. And that's why we have no idea how many people inside of the prisons are prisoners of the protest times of the 2020. The arrests and detentions continue till now even like two years after the protests. Um, there were some people, like I know, for example, arrested, I think two months ago, for the protest in 2020. So they're still going through the camera of footages, they're still going through the lists of their like activists for their mm, just people that they know that were participating and slowly just getting them arrested further and further on. Trying to not only prosecute specific people, but also create this atmosphere where every person who participated in those protests feel insecure. So even though they didn't come after you in 2020, in 2021, there is still a risk that they will come later. And that's what the state wants as a message to the society, that we are always keeping an eye on you. We always like continue working on those repressions. And um, if the time comes, we will come after you. 
And of course, the fucking smart surveillance systems that are existing in Belarus are helping this a lot. So all this smart bullshit that is uh, the world getting around with smart cameras and uh, face recognition systems and so on and so forth, it is not about security in any way. It is actually about consolidation of power in Belarus. And sooner or later, it will be used here as well by the same groups um, just to destroy any kind of attempts to create a free society. Yeah, talking about the conditions of people who are in the prisons, um, they are fucking horrible. People are getting beaten up and tortured on a daily basis. People are ending up in kind of different types of uh, detention. There's one where you are living in prison, but you are allowed to actually go to uh, to work outside of the prison. Those are like the easiest conditions where you can get. Um, but even there, like if you are a politically involved person, you will get pressured from the uh, administration, from the prison administration. And then you have the penal colonies, the thing that exists since the Soviet times. So it's like a colony where people are working, but they're working within the colony and they're producing some simple things. And there um, we have, I don't remember how many, I think like 15, 20, 40, fucking hell, I don't know how many numbers are there. But um, there are quite a bunch of colonies uh, in Belarus and there it really depends on the administration. And there are several colonies, at least in, in Belarus, where the administration, the people who are running the prison, right, the colony, are just fucking crazy and they're trying to work their way out to the top. So they are showing how great they are working with the political prisoners. And there you have people beaten up on the regular basis if, for example, information comes out from the prison to the general public or people are passing some things in the, in the letters to the outside and so on and so forth. So a friend of mine, like Mikola Didok, he wrote in his letter that like he was already in prison for five years, right? And there it was already quite harsh. Um, because he he was transferred to different prisons and like under constant pressure from the state, he said that right now it's like the harshest it gets actually because basically prison administration got this carte blanche to do whatever they want, and it doesn't matter basically what happens. Like they killed one person I think a year ago um, in prison, and it didn't bring anything. Like they basically can kill you without any consequences inside of the Belarusian prisons. Yeah, so this happens, and then there are disclosed prisons where the high-security prisoners are sent. Um, there you are just basically like isolated in the smaller group of five people or ten people. You don't have contact with the outside world. Yeah, so that's the conditions people are stored or yeah, processed. And as I said, it's a very violent situation. It is not like, you know, this... Um, kind of uh, nostalgic or in any way um, romantic perception of the prison where you go as a political prisoner and you learn about politics and you come out a better revolutionary and so on and so forth. No, it is a very like, it is basically a place to survive through. And that's the, the core notion that people stick to. Also, people are getting isolated. So if you're political, there are several colonies where administration is pointing out that you as a let's say, social prisoner, not allowed to get in touch with these specific political prisoners. And that's how they isolate also people uh, from, from the list. And here it is also important to mention that Belarusian prisons are a little bit of a, they had a learning curve and um, learning not from the best practices. 
and now prisoners are also separated by the tax. So you, if you are like a political prisoner, most probably you will get a tag of an extremist. And the tags is like this fucking crazy, you know, um, triangles that everybody knows from the Nazi prisons. Those things exist in Belarusian prisons. So they separate extremists, they separate terrorists, they separate people who are tend to um, escape. Everybody gets their colors. Um, also, they separate uh, people who are sitting in prison for the drugs. And of course, if you're having an extremist tag, um, that gives another like an extra target on your back for the prison guards to basically like terrorize you. And on top of that, there is a huge social isolation. The prisoners are not getting their emails. They're not getting any contacts uh, with the outside. Again, talking about Mikola Zidok, his letters are destroyed just in front of him. So the prison guards are calling him every week, show him a bunch of letters, and they're like, that's for you, fucker. And they burn it or just like shred it in front of him and saying like, you should sign that we destroyed your letters. Congratulations. And this is happening to a lot of prisoners. So they are trying to prevent any information coming in or out as a mean of pressure. For sure, they know what, what it means for the prisoner not to have any correspondence, not to have any contact with their relatives, um, with their friends, with anybody. Could you uh, introduce us to some of the anarchists and anti-fascist prisoners? Because I know that there's at least 30 you um, support right now. Can you uh, give us a little bit an idea about their cases? Fuck, they're 30, right? So it's hard to go through the list. But I will go through different cases that were there. The first one that comes to, to my mind is the, the anarchist partisans case, where there were four anarchists detained for some actions of sabotage, prosecuted. Um, in 2020, they were detained at the border with Ukraine. They were prosecuted for terrorism and... They are now sitting in prison. They were sentenced to 18, I think, 21 year in prison. Just a huge amount of uh, years, if you look in the perspective. Yeah, so they are serving their sentences all around Belarus. Then there is a case of this uh, Parmen Collective. There were like four people arrested, prosecuted, and then um, sentenced for participation in extremist organization. And this is uh, something that was introduced very recently in Belarus. If the state, without any, even the court decision, if the police decides that your organization is an extremist, they can um, arrest you and prosecute you then in the court. So the decision is made about the extremist formation or extremist organization by the police. And then um, the prosecution terms are like from, I think, three to seven or eight years just for being part of it. And that's the case of Pramin, where people were prosecuted for that. Plus, they were prosecuted for participation in the protest as well um, in 2020. So this was also kind of a punishment as Pramin was a certain like a big collective uh, that was also mobilizing people to the streets in 2020. Then there was uh, a case of uh, several teenagers who also ordered stickers from this Pramin collective and went outside sticking it somewhere on the school and whatever. And then somehow police got them three young, I think they are not even, no, they are 18 years old, uh, but they were like youngsters, let's say like that. And they were also sentenced to two, three years in prison just for putting stickers on the walls. Then what else? There are um, There is a case of the, the football fan anti-fascists who were also arrested in 2020 for participation in the protests, for like assaulting the policeman and all the shit. They were like quite heavily tortured. And this is what I didn't mention in the other cases. Basically, every person that I'm going to mention 
they were tortured in the different very sophisticated fucking crazy ways and if i'm not mentioning that then or if i'm mentioning that the person was not tortured this is like an extraordinary and most of the people were tortured actually these anti-fascists were sentenced to five six years for um, participation in the protests and they are also right now mixed up in prison and then Mikola Zidok was arrested. He is like a long-lasting anarchist who was, um, at that time, transformed himself into blogger and was blogging mostly and writing things uh, for the media, for like oppositional media as well. He was arrested for participation in the protests and all this crap and organizing the protests and whatever they have in their fucking head and um, was sentenced also to, I think, five years or something like that in prison I, I can't remember any all the prison terms it's, it's really got like mixed up in my head and then there is uh, right now ongoing case of the like an international criminal organization created in the head of the belarusian police they took as a as a core like this uh, group quite sectarian group of revolutionary action and they just started dropping people inside of this organization who they thought that that was associated with the organization basically by taking just everybody together and there are i think now 10 people in in ongoing process with uh huge expenses like fuck i mean it costs um as it was written online it costs more than three thousand euro per week just to pay the lawyers and that's only part of the whole support process yeah that that's the case uh, there there are also like single people who were prosecuted for again for participation in the protests for um, some smaller actions for being like for putting again the fucking stickers somewhere and so on and so forth okay thanks um you we talked at the beginning a little bit about the situation in the society and that there's actually this kind of so civil society everybody who's somehow organized themselves all kind of ngos critical media and everything was destroyed so how can we actually imagine that work to support prisoners in general and also from your collective if you can give us some inside views i mean there even though of all this atmosphere of terror and all this um, repressions there are still people in the country who are continuing to resist continuing to organize continuing to fight back and hoping that this fight will not be in vain or something like that so those people are fighting and this is uh, an important part of this continuation of struggle. There is still, like, even though the shit looks dark, and even with the beginning of the war, it looks even darker, there is still hope. You know, there is always fucking hope. The humans are stupid fucking creatures that believe in hope, and they continue believing that one day the revolution will change the world, and Belarus will be free, and all the other places will be free, and even fucking Russia will be free. Maybe it will be not called like Russia. Um, so this is... This is how it is there right now. Talking about the way the support is going, I mean, all of those people who are arrested have huge families, and families are mostly like the core supporters when everything else is cleaned. Um, even if there are no comrades left, there is still a fucking mother that is going to bring you a package even if she doesn't believe in anarchism or whatever. And for a lot of comrades, this is the case. Like, they have their relatives who are still supporting them. Uh, with some, there are conflicts. With some, there are no. But these kind of family ties are still obliging people to help. And I think this is an important part 
that makes things happen. There are some parents that are fucking awesome and they are becoming anarchists and better anarchists than we all were, you know, in any point in our lives, um, while others are very hard to work with. But that's the structure as it is. How can people support your work actually right now? I, I think very simple, just fucking donate, you know, just get your ass up and instead of paying, I don't know, 10 euro check in the bar, just, just you know, be a little bit ascetic as we all have to be in these days and spend money where it's supposed to be sent, even if it means that you will be a little bit more uncomfortable in your fucking beautiful Western world and so on and so forth. Um, this is uh, this is a very basic thing you can do, you know, and this is the thing that going going to matter. Our work is not going to exist if there is no money. Like we are not going to be able to support people in any way apart from just, you know, writing a letter, hang on, mate, everybody remembers you, but nobody donates, which is like a horrible fucking message, right? And I think the situation is very complicated right now as a lot of comrades are supporting Ukraine and a lot of attention goes to Ukraine. And this is necessary. This is for sure like the struggle that will define what is going to happen in Belarus. And this is the struggle that is going to define um, what is going to happen in, in Russia in the coming years. But it is very important that next to the weapons and, you know, pictures of Kalashnikov and people with the fucking cars and drones and killing Russian soldiers and Russian generals, which is fucking awesome. Like, killing a Russian general is a great thing. Like, if Russian general dies, there are that means that there are people who are going to live. And this is an important part of the whole war. This is an important logic of the war. And we all know that if Putin dies, the whole world is going to be a huge fucking party. I'm going to party like I've never partied in my whole fucking life. So those struggles are happening and those struggles are visible. But there is a lot of struggles that are going on and they are invisible. The struggles that are happening in Belarusian prisons... Um, people are not just locked out and they are just staying in isolation and nothing happens. They're struggling on the regular basis. They're struggling with the torture. They're struggling with the prison administration pressure. They're, they're struggling basically every fucking hour. Every second we are talking, there are people under fucking pressure from the prison and they are fighting back. And the people are not giving up. And I think this is an important part to remember and to kind of keep in your heart when you're going through your every fucking daily routine that the world is fucking fighting. And this fight requires your help right now. So that's why we are urging you to donate, you know, um, to donate as much as you can, as you can afford and understand that we are all in a very uncomfortable situation right now. And this comfort cannot be achieved through the individual achievements that the Western world taught you. We are stronger as a collective and the world is going to change only through the collective actions. Okay, thanks a lot. Is there anything more you would like to mention? I think it is very important not to get desperate, not to lose the hope in the things that we are doing, in the struggle that we are doing. Well, the world is changing and we are changing with it. And it is up to us to actually shape the world. Even though there is a lot of violence and a lot of violence coming against us and there are a lot of risks, a lot of people are risking with their lives for the better world, there is still a fucking hope. Even if it looks dark and there is no future, there is a fucking future. And the future is, I hope, will be fucking free 
and not Putin and some other assholes telling us what to do. We will liberate the world through our fucking direct actions. That's great words. Thanks a lot. So you can keep yourself updated on the ABC Belarus website. Also, we will put in the uh, show notes the link for the donation campaign. So thanks a lot again for this interview. And we will see each other on the barricades. Don't get desperate. And we are all walking through a free, liberated world. Right. See you around.